know, what I believe is that everyone has things that energize and everyone has different talents they can bring to this cause, you know. So we have lawyers who volunteer their time to help people like me to sit on the street and know that I've got a, a free lawyer to support me. We have people who used to work in investment banking who are then quitting that and then managing our finances. And you need people from all walks of life, also people who, who have different edu educations, you know, um, who can... Uh, build protest signs and paint them and build boats and make all that stuff look really nice not even necessarily be out there on the streets um so i think everyone needs to reflect on okay if this is the issue of our time this is the issue of our species this century how can i contribute with my talents with my privilege or lack of privilege with the things that energize me welcome to the fearverse immersive sustainability by viridescent we are a storytelling and mentorship platform designed to support and inspire the sustainability champions of the world. This super group of changemakers wields circularity, art, science to write a formula for the very best of humanity. And together, together, we make saving the world Good morning, everybody from beautiful Montana, USA. And I am currently on Flathead Lake, um, standing on Salish and Kootenai land. And I am so thrilled to be joined by my wonderful co-host. I am Chance, AKA the designer. And we have, of course, the lovely. Aurora, the change maker. <laughs> All right, this is the new norm, having Aurora with us in these conversations. So very, very excited. And of course we are thrilled to be joined by Tom Marshall, AKA the visionary lemur here in the Viraverse. Tom believes that work should help you thrive as a human being while making the world a better place. Based on this belief, he works as a career coach and a speaker, supporting change makers to grow their impact and thrive in life. He's also a climate activist for Extinction Rebellion, and I think we actually have some activists in the audience, so welcome. Giving talks about our climate and ecological crisis and training up other rebels to engage in civil disobedience, safely and effectively. He previously worked as a strategy and innovation consultant at Deloitte while setting up a nonprofit called Extraordinary Life that makes personal development accessible for students. In 2018, he received the Rotterdam School of Management Distinguished Alumnus Award for his impact, where he completed his Master of Science in Innovation Management. The professionals who he coaches know him as a determined optimist who genuinely cares about people and has a vision for a better society, the visionary lemur. As a speaker at 150 plus events, his audiences and venues have ranged from young professionals at multinationals to local communities in Uganda and 5,000 students, 5,000 students in the stadium that hosted this year's Eurovision. He lives together in Rotterdam, Netherlands with his life partner and spends his time striving to experience the intensity of human existence. Just that alone, I love that. Um, whether that's doing a three-day fast, exploring polyamory, moshing to his favorite bands, dig that too, scuba diving with sharks, <laughs> and experimenting with psychedelics, or attending Spanish Burning Man. Those two things go hand in hand well, I think. 
So Tom, super, super thrilled to have you here with us today. I'm gonna do a few kind of housekeeping notes and then we're gonna dive right into the conversation. So this won't be your typical virtual event. We have nature sounds videos. We're even gonna do a comic reading today. Um, and we're also going to have a virtual campfire conversation here at some point as well, all sitting around a real fire. Um, the flow of conversation and its parts. So the first part of this conversation is gonna be kind of a deep dive with myself, Aurora and Tom. And then, uh, and that kind of goes for about the first hour. And then the second part of the conversation, hour number two, is where we bring everybody up to join Tom Marshall's fire starters, which we'll get into a little bit later. And we'll have a group conversation about meaningful life, purpose, uh, maybe activism a little bit and all these different things that we'll weave in. Um, please keep an eye on the chat. Feel free to use it. You'll see the researcher, um, Carla here, op opting uh, questions and kind of weaving in different things. Links will come in there. Feel free to share any insights, questions that you may have, and we will weave them into the conversation. If there are any words or terms that you don't understand, please make sure to ask the researcher directly in the chat and she'll guide you. We want everybody to be able to participate in the conversation as equals. This is also a podcast recorded experience. So if you do speak, know that you're consenting to um, kind of being on camera or on audio and please announce yourself as you speak, you know, hi, I'm Chance, or, you know, this is Chance, and then you talk and you go into your, your speech. This helps the um, hearing impaired and the uh, visual impairments access this thing and uh, have a similar experience to the rest of us. As far as etiquette goes, we encourage people to allow to share without correcting stories or views, but we do wanna have an authentic conversation. So share genuinely and know that this is a safe space. Use the emoji reactions. If you wanna come on stage um, as well, you can raise your hand. Those are found on the bottom toolbar and helps us have a more interactive and nicely flowed conversation. And again, when you share, please introduce yourself and feel free to introduce yourself with any diversity elements that you'd like. I want everybody to feel comfortable being them. All right, Aurora, would you like to take us into Tom's origin story? Absolutely, thank you so much. For those of you who don't know me, I am Dr. Aurora Don Benton. I've known Chance for, gosh, about going on almost five years. And I'm so honored and excited to be part of this experience, the Veraverse. Thank you for allowing me to be part of the orbit or whatever it is that I'm doing floating out in your space. So very excited to finally meet the lemur. I've been seeing this uh, alter ego for a while. Like, who's this lemur? A lemur? I can't wait to hear this story. So Tom, it's my pleasure to kick off a little bit of a get to know you chat and especially dive into your alter ego. So let's start with kind of like, how did you get to where you are? What's that trajectory that took you from wherever you started to where we find you today? Wow, big question. So my life story in a nutshell, basically. Um, so I'm originally from the UK, uh, hence my British accent, born in Birmingham, grew up in Worcestershire in like a pretty white middle-class background, um, a lot of privilege. And then I was protesting against the university's decision in the, in the UK, the government's decision, I should say, to triple university tuition fees from 3,000 pounds per year to 9,000 pounds per year, which in the US you're like, 9,000 is nothing, but UK wise. Um, and that led me to actually 
leave uh, the UK for the Netherlands to study economics. Um, I studied there for a few years, um, kind of following the traditional corporate routes, graduated from business school uh, and then started at Deloitte. And back then I was just starting there as a strategy and innovation consultant. And I felt like I kind of ticked all the conventional boxes of success, you know, of a good, good degree, well-paying job, wonderful girlfriend, nice apartment, that I just ticked all these boxes. And I was asked to give a speech at my graduation ceremony. And I'm standing there in front of 700 people, parents, proud graduates. And I told them what it meant to be a graduate of business school or university in general. And I told them what it meant was that you had the freedom to do the things in your life that give you meaning. The freedom to do the things in your life that give you meaning. And having said that, I realized I was an absolute hypocrite because I was not doing the things in my life that gave me meaning. But neither were any of my fellow graduates, my colleagues, friends, managers. Epiphany, as you write in the chat, yeah. And that's what led me to want to change that. That was the problem that I saw, that education had not prepared people to live meaningful lives. It had simply prepared people to contribute to a system that was only interested in economic growth and full employment. Not about pursuing purpose, not about pursuing passion, not about pursuing a meaningful, balanced life, because that's not what the system is set up to do. Um, so I started giving workshops at university, um, just free of charge, voluntary, for students who would show up. And I was really excited. I made some PowerPoint slides from the different personal development books that I'd read, uh, books of room, promoted it to everyone, told my friends, and three people showed up. And it sucked. Super mediocre. But over time, I grew, I learned, I did this more and more, more and more people showed up. Um, it started being from me saying, can I give a workshop for you to Tom, can you come and give us a workshop? Um, the MBA program, the Rostam School of Management, heard about it, invited me to speak there. And I was like, wow, you're actually going to pay me good money to do something that I love. That's, that's amazing. Um, then my manager at Deloitte heard about it and started referring me to some of these senior partners in my in organization. And they were like twice my age, which was kind of weird to coach people about life when they have twice your experience. But through that, I kind of broke through and realized that actually biological age and emotional age or reflection age are not necessarily very well correlated. Um, and um, that helped me gain more confidence about what I'd learned on, on my journey and reflected on. Uh, and basically, having done that on the side for a few years and, and making it a nonprofit association uh, for students, for other students, I then quit my job at the Deloitte at the end of 2019 uh, to do it full time. And uh, yeah, I'm just very privileged to have found my passion and purpose at a very young age, really. Um, and at the end of 2019, I then started thinking much more about change making and really niching into helping people. Uh, who are change makers who want to make the world better, helping them to thrive in their life and their work, because those are the people that I really wanted to support on their journeys. And particularly in this, at the end of 2019, I went to my first talk of Extinction Rebellion um, here in the Netherlands, which is a um, uh, environmental movement that uses civil disobedience to create change. And to cut the long story short, um, I had a big realization there. It was like being Neo in the matrix, taking the red pill, realizing how bad things are with, with the climate and uh, becoming an environmental activist uh, with Extinction Rebellion at the end of 2019 and wanting to find this harmony between my 
activism for the climate, but also my coaching and speaking and, and moderation uh, work, and thus sort of focusing on change makers. So that is, uh, in a nutshell, how I've got where I am. Uh, or I love it. And here's what I love about your story. There are so many ways that you and I are completely polar opposites, but we're in the same space with the same heart, beating for the same reasons and trying to move the needle forward. Slightly different audiences, slightly different methodologies. One of the things that resonated about your story is I came into my journey, sort of a flipped side of what you're saying. You're saying like in business, we've sort of left out the whole purpose thing. And what drew me into this space is actually when I was in a church environment, so, you, you know, usually people use faith as sort of like, how do I create purpose for my life? So I was in this church environment trying to figure out how to figure out how the purpose is. And it was all about, you know, going and volunteering at orphanages and, and working with children. It's like, I don't want to work with children. I'm really good at business. Can't I like serve in some way with my business acumen. And that's what started my journey into this space of like purpose and business can coexist. They should coexist. They must coexist. So I think that we will have a few other crossings of our paths. I probably am almost old enough to be your mom. I'm guessing like here's because you're younger, different generations, but it's so beautiful how we're all coming together with these sort of similar desires to elevate people and help them along their path. So this is, I think this is going to be a great conversation. Thank you, Aurora. I mean, what connects people is not um, what they've done or how old they are or things you can read on their CV. What connects people is their values. And you can be from any background, have shared values and because often values are human, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And it's one of the reasons why I'm able to live in a part of the country that I'm surrounded by predominantly people who are on the opposite political spectrum as I, but yet, you know, I'm still able to make some friends and hang out with my family without us hating each other. So, because we have things in common, there are things we both care about and chances like I'm living it right now. <laughs> I just moved to Montana. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, really. I did just move back home, but it's it's exciting. I was away for eight years. So it's good. It's good to be back. Yeah. I am like in Redneckville, USA right now, Flathead County, one of the most conservative places in the world. And I'm actually glad to be here because I'm excited to to really bring sustainability to this world too, because it can fit. So yeah, yep, it's good. Absolutely. <laughs> I just did my first, I did a restaurant uh, sustainability training session last night with a local tavern that opened up here a couple months ago. And I happened to meet the owner and like, I'm excited, like, wow, there's really interest here. And, uh, you know, clearly we're going to disagree about certain things, but it, it was an exciting start. So... so uh, before yeah, we sorry, go to go the ahead. alter ego, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, on, I want to dive this, into that, but go ahead. I know, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, on this note, though, Tom, we're, we're kind of, we're skipping ahead in the conversation a little bit. Um, we don't have to go down the climate activism route necessarily just yet. However, this kind of idea of trying to reach people that aren't right, aren't with us, right? They don't share the same values necessarily, but you're kind of trying to offer some sort of disruption to kind of kick their thinking into a new gear. I'd just be really curious because you, you've sat in the street and actually gotten yourself arrested, right? So I'd be curious what your philosophy is around trying to engage people that don't think about sustainability or change making and climate change and zero waste and equity and all these things, right? 
how do you how do you do it? What what is some what is a tip maybe that you would recommend to somebody trying to reach someone that doesn't share their values? You make it relevant for them. You tap into values that they have, and you need to understand their values, listen to them. So, yeah, you need to, you need to make it relevant for them. And so, if they care about safety and stability, for instance, which is a classic value of of the right right side of the political spectrum, is you want stability, you want safety, and therefore we vote for maybe more sense of security and maybe heavier authoritarian leaders. Um, so, why is the climate crisis a threat to your safety? Well, you live in Rotterdam, which is actually below sea level here in the Netherlands. So, if the sea level rises, you're going to be flooded. So, let's talk about that. Have you thought about that? Yeah. Awesome. We have a sustainability beacon here in the Viraverse that is, um, there's nobody you can't reach with sustainability, but you have to sometimes meet them where they are, right? Figure out what they're into. Yeah, Yeah, nice. Well, we might have to add you as a co-author to that beacon, so stay tuned, um, (laughs) because you just threw it out without a prompt from me. So, all right, Aurora, over to you. Let's build an alter ego. Yeah, let's let's walk through the alter ego. So, I, I would love to start just because my curiosity is killing me here, can we start with the lemur and work our way out from there? I would just love to hear how you connect with the lemur. Sure. So my um, alter ego is a little bit different to the others because I kind of already had one three years ago before Viridescent existed and before I I met you wonderful humans. Um, So I give this workshop um, called um, Unleash Your Inner Beast. And during that, we have people reflect on their passions and their purpose. And then after that, they come up with an animal which embodies uh, them and an an adjective before that. And so my team came up with the visionary lemur for me because they say that as a lemur, you're very energetic. You kind of jump around a lot, a lot of enthusiasm. Um, and I would never dare call myself a visionary, but they say I have a vision for the world and for um, the organization that I was leading and, and, and how I want things to be better. So that was kind of how they combined those two together and gave me the tagline, the visionary lemur. And I took that to Chance and Chance was like, oh, I actually quite like that. We don't need to change change that. You know, sometimes I think it's actually easier and almost more um just maybe beautiful when someone else gives you the the word right or yeah. the element of it because sometimes it can feel a little bit awkward to own and name a part of yourself right i think that's part of this journey of helping the people that we want to help is helping them own the part of themselves that maybe they're not willing to uh, acknowledge or feel confident in and so sometimes it can be so helpful when other people, even those of us who are on the stage, leading the charge, inspiring people and teaching people, even we have our moments of like, really, yeah. is that me? I don't know. And so I think it's a, a really lovely humility on your part to own a word that your team gave you. Um, I think that's actually really a, a lovely gift to them, right? Because you're you're acknowledging and accepting the way they see you, even if you're maybe a little bit like, really, that's me, okay. Um, so I, I think that's actually a really cool part of the story, in my opinion. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, definitely, lemur. it's important to uh, 
own your compliments that are given to you and indeed just just because you're out on stage doesn't doesn't mean that you actually are self-confident often those are the insecure overachievers who don't have this the self-confidence um so yeah definitely uh yeah. good to own the compliments that are given to you and, and it helps if someone else can can give those uh, to you and and give you that labeling in a positive sense absolutely now i'm guessing that your favorite nature element is fire or how did you how did you guess i mean there's not there's only like <laughs> six different fire emojis on that thing, right? so what's what's the deal with fire and if i understand correctly we're going to explore that even further uh in the second half so i'm excited about that because i also love fire I'm a little bit of i'm not an arsonist but i am definitely a lover of the flame so tell us about that I just find it it's a beautiful element i mean it's so free and unpredictable and it's ever changing and the only constant in life is change and i think i can sit at a campfire and stare at a fire for a long time with with friends with loved ones and there's something about fire and, and this primality um when you sit around the fire that brings people together around this this beacon literally a beacon and um this yeah flame and fire also within you as well and the imagery that that creates of having a fire within your heart and sort of drive and an energy and i think that that's what i have in in my life i love it that's so beautiful there you're right it is one of those i think all of us we see our nature element as sort of firing on multiple cylinders right like there are a lot of multiple meetings i don't know if you're aware of mine but i'll do a quick um I know it's going to be small, but if you see on my image, there's a tree with a little bit. This is a photo that uh, Chance rendered into my alter ego. And so you see a little sunlight, you see these tree, the tree. And the element is Sithurium, which is the sound, it's the wind blowing in leaves. And I, for me, it's really when the wind it represents change because it's something you can't see and you're really striving for until all of a sudden, like you see the results of it. And wind can also have an impact on flame, right? You can be just watching a flame and all of a sudden it just like moves in a different way and it's not anything you oh. did. You blew on it, right? <laughs> but it's just the wind came out of nowhere and you don't necessarily see that or know it's coming. So um, it's the same with like, I used to go sailing a lot. And so you'd just be in you know, calm waters and you'd see out ahead like, oh, the water is changing, the wind is coming. So I think that's a, it's a, also similar in that it's this unpredictable thing, it's uncontrollable. And I think that's one of the great things about these alter ego components, including a nature element, because it reminds us that it brings so much beauty and life, but it's also something we have little control over. We can destroy it, but we have little control over what makes it so beautiful and so powerful. So I think the flame articulates that very nicely. Yes, definitely. Uh, connection with nature and nature elements help you transcend your ego and see that you are a little small um, piece of life in this massive web, which is much more powerful than, than you and more important than, than you. I don't know if the audience yes. is picking up on this, but there is a little bit of a web weaving between the change maker and the visionary lemur here. Um, and I am just enjoying every bit of it. Um, Aurora, carry on. Awesome. Okay. So what is your sustainability beacon? So I have two. I mean, a, a beacon, the way that I define it is, is something 
that is a calling possibly that you go towards, that you live by a philosophy of sorts. So I'm, I'm going to name two, and these are quotes that I often use in, in my workshops and talks that I give. And the first one is a quote from uh, Vaclav Havel, who is the former president of Czechoslovakia. And he says, hope is not the same thing as optimism. It is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but hope is the certainty that something makes sense, regardless of how it turns out. And I really am very inspired by that when I think about climate activism, because there's only so much I can do as an individual, and maybe the planet is already screwed, to be polite, um, and maybe we won't stop reaching two degrees, three degrees, four degrees even, but everything that we do makes sense to do it. And the fact that I'm doing it will reduce the load on my conscience when I have to explain to my grandchildren why the world is the way it is. And just because you don't know exactly how it's going to go doesn't mean that you can't do your best because it's it's the right thing to do. So that's Baklav Havel. Margaret Mead is, is uh, an anthropologist and she has a quote that I, I love, which is, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. And for me, again, that's about when you come together as a community, you can be very powerful and very influential. On your own, you can be very alone, very afraid, very powerless. But when you come together, you can create something special from the synergy of your drives, of your passions. You can create something beautiful, something impactful, something meaningful. And that's what Margaret Mead is, is saying there. And when you look at the history of struggles, of, of citizens uprising, of all these different groups, it's always been people coming together and, and saying, we've had enough of this, we're going to change this. And they do. They set the wheel going, they set momentum, um, which then involves the rest of society. Uh, yeah. Um, Tom, something I, I want to say, I guess, thank you for and um, kind of reminding me of is something when we first started this viridescent platform and this idea of building this like immersive sustainability weird world of um, the viraverse and all this, we had a lot of really strong ambition to it. And so we kind of started asking each other question like, what if we don't change the world, save the world, make the impact we want to make, you know, whatever. And the, the philosophy that I've really started to carry is that I mean, what if we change a bunch of lives along the way? What if we all live lives that promote the beauty of nature and foster caretaking and living a life in balance and all those things? Maybe humans aren't supposed to be able to turn the course of this thing around, right? We should damn well try. But it's also, I think, important for us to understand that this whole thing is bigger than us too. Maybe it's been caused by us, certainly. <laughs> it sure seems that way. The science says so, right? But at the same time, it's still a system so much larger than us. And there's a long way to go on this human ride still. We got a long way and a lot, a lot of time still to figure some parts of this out. Um, but maybe it's not so much about fixing as it is about just continuing to be resilient and better and improve and grow and mature and evolve and all those good things. Um, so thank you for that. I really like your philosophy around this. All right.
So we're going to do a quick mindful minute because we've hit this hard and heavy real fast here. So we're going to throw up a, a video, a little bit of sound, some music, and uh, just enjoy you know, a minute or two. Everybody get up, grab a drink, um, do whatever you need to do, kind of recenter, and we'll kick the conversation into your life coaching on the other side. Angels Landing in wonderful Zion Canyon National Park in my other home, Utah. Um, it's a beautiful place and kind of a crazy hike. My brother was actually determined on that hike not to touch the chains. I've never used the chains was his thing. And he did it. Um, I think he's kind of an idiot personally, but you know. <laughs> All right. Um, maybe he needs some life coaching, Tom. <laughs> some, or maybe not. Maybe he's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. All right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your platform, right? And this, this kind of idea of helping people achieve a meaningful life, right? And, and it's funny because we actually, in our last conversation with Rose Kaz at Lady Boss International, Aurora, <laughs> Aurora dropped the funniest moment of the whole thing, I think, where she actually uh, basically said, fuck you to life coaches. Um, because, and a little context, because she is one. I do that for real. You did. You totally did. Oh, no, um, I know what it was. It was the people who who post on Facebook and say, I launched a class and have $5,000 in sales each week. And I'm like, <laughs> who are you this is not Take a real your thing. ad and go away because it's, a, a it's okay you know it's okay aurora it's a bot it's a bot um no it isn't a bot it's it's somebody that has found success in doing this right but it's tricky right tom it's not easy because getting people to invest in themselves 
can be really difficult, but you're good at it and you're finding, you're finding some energy. Um, and we're really excited. And for those that are participating today or listening on the recordings, we actually have a Viraverse discount to Tom's Life Coaching. So we'll provide that in the links in the chat here, as well as our show notes. But Tom, how do you do it, right? How have you find success? What is your, what is your key? And tell us a little bit about what your coaching programming is. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you find success, right? I mean, coming back to what Aurora was just saying, you know, it's, it's, it's about defining success on your terms for yourself, not defining success based on the system's terms of earning X amount of money as if that is very well correlated with fulfillment and balance in life. Um, so, I mean, so I got, I got into coaching basically after, you know, a lot of the workshops that I would give where people would come up to me afterwards and say, Hey, Tom, can I like, work with you one-on-one -on -one. can we talk about passion and purpose from that and that's what so I started doing it a few a few years back and um, really enjoy the connection that I can have one-on-one -on -one with someone over a period of time to really help them transform their lives so I'm really focused mainly on helping uh, change makers as I mentioned and that's predominantly young professionals but it can also be more middle-aged professionals who are in a, a corporate environment who really want to make the world a better place but they're a bit disillusioned with with their work and so they want to find more meaning and purpose. And so I have a discovery call with people, which I do for free. I always uh, do that just to really add value already in the first call and support them as I can. Uh, and we start by just looking at their life. And we do this exercise called the 12 areas of balance, looking at, okay, how balanced is your life in all these different areas of your relationships, your family, your work, your career, your growth, your contribution, your community, all these different things. And then from that, I have a well-rounded understanding of the person. I really um, can support them to move forward in whatever way that is. And I focus mainly on finding meaningful work. I do this program called Love Your Work, um, where I really support people to transition from uh, working maybe a corporate job. They're not really very satisfied with it because there's no meaning or purpose in it and helping them to actually <laughs> navigate through this, this transition, just like I did from a position of starting at Deloitte um, and then not really finding purpose and meaning in, in that. Um, and I think really this whole journey of coaching is I am a critical mirror with love. So I'm mirroring back um, and helping to facilitate the process of my coachee and also being critical, helping them to dive deeper and challenging them with that, but also being very loving and caring in a way, and having, helping them have empathy and compassion for themselves. And so the main program is, as I mentioned, of a Love Your Work program, but I also do uh, a program which is called Passion Projects, which is maybe people who want to do a um, passionate project on the side alongside of their day job and don't want to jump ship just yet or change that, and then they'd be a bit more entrepreneurial. And I also have a program called Level Up, which is really for people who want to level up a certain part of their life. So they couldn't be anything really. And I'm this accountability partner that turns up on their doorstep and like compels action. You can't not take action. I was once uh, compared by one of my coaches to being like a personal trainer who turns up on your doorstep and, and you can't like not work out because Tom Tom's there and, and, and he's helping you to take action. But you also you can't say no to, to move forward. Um, so those are like the, the three programs that I offer and, and I find so much meaning and joy in this and helping people go on this journey because it's a journey that I've been through um, without really having someone to support me although I'd say that but actually I've been coaching my best friend we've been coaching each other for about six seven years now and, and it's, it's kind of changed each other's lives through, through doing that so I've had 
had support from other coaches on on the way. I, I must I must admit. So well, every good coach had a good coach, kind of thing, right? Or has a good coach. Um, so Tom, I'm actually going to um, hold myself accountable right now here, um, live on the spot. So I'll oh, explain yes. what this is in a minute. So. Tom uh, has actually been coaching me on helping me find some discipline and balance. I've been on this lifelong journey to find balance in my life because it is my belief that a sustainable human is the one that is going to build a sustainable world. And um, one of the things that he told me is he's like, write your morning routine on a sticky note and put that damn thing on your computer right here. And when you come in the, in the morning and you try to get to work, because I can be prone to do that once in a while, you see that sticky note and you're like, nope, I got to do my morning routine, my yoga, my meditation, my reading, those kinds of things. And, um, and then I put it up on my screen and I put it right back there at the end of the day so that and it is working really, really well. Um, I won't give you all the credit. Being in Montana just feels good. So I'm going to take a little <laughs> bit of ownership too. But uh and the other thing that I want to offer in my experience with Tom's coaching, but I think that this can really speak to the importance of coaching. And I'd be kind of curious your response to this a little bit, Aurora, too. But um, for whatever reason, there's something about like, well, I can't, I could never buy, like pay somebody to, to coach me, right? I don't have the money. You know, it's not something that's, it's like, what is more worth investing than, than you, right? Than you. Like you're, you gotta be the best you. And there's something about a coach that offers sometimes a mentor, sometimes tough love, sometimes structure, sometimes just a little bit of encouragement. And Tom and I were actually going through some stuff on Sunday, um, the day I was actually moving to Montana and I was drawing something for him on a whiteboard behind me. Um, and I was off to a really good start. And then I stopped and I kind of was looking at it. And he said something to me. He said, trust yourself, Chance, trust yourself. What's the first thing that comes to mind? And then I just flowed through the whole thing the rest of the way. And I actually, and it's going to be one of the most meaningful things I've ever created. It's a, a gift for my wife, actually. Um, and that has helped me in my life, in my life. And it feeds into the work and inspires me and all that. But um, a coach can be really healthy for you and really valuable and make you better at whatever it is you're trying to do. And for sustainability champions and change makers, game changer, game changer. So Tom here live on the spot, I just want to say thank you. And uh, I can't wait to continue to learn from you as we go. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Aurora, I don't know. Do you have anything to add kind of as somebody who's coached? I think maybe the question we could pose here, is you know like one big piece of advice that Tom would offer to life coaches to the entrepreneurs that are building a platform but I'd be curious kind of your perspective Aurora if you want to kind of guide us into that question for Tom to respond to. Yeah so first of all I'm also a huge advocate of coaches I've worked with a few at different spots in my career who were game changers and just getting me to that next level and you know, I've also done therapy, so it's like therapy, but there's a little bit of a difference, right? It's sort of clinically and sort of the approach to it, but still all about digging in, looking, a little bit of navel gazing, but sometimes you have to do that to really understand yourself, how you got to where you are, what you need to do next. And, and there are a number of ways you can do that. Working with someone one-on-one -on -one is a great way to do it. The coaching that I do tends to be not so much about like sort of personal development, but it's more about the professional's development. Like I work with entrepreneurs to help them with like 
pitch development and stuff like that. But my focus is very much on how they manage their teams and how they interact with their teams and delegate to their teams and become the leader that they need to come become and really building confidence in them as business owners, business people, business leaders. And more recently, the coaching is more in line with like, okay, go through my coursework and I'm going to coach you so that you have the confidence to actually implement it. And again, I think it's a, it's a different sort of tone and tenor than what Tom is doing, but there's places, there's needs for all of it, right? Like I would say to any people that I'm coaching on like this professional level, I'd say like, you also need a Tom in your life. <laughs> you know? Like you need, you need different people. It's just like, you know, if you have a, a car and that car has a problem, you may need to take it to multiple different kinds of people, right? Like you may like, oh, I want a new paint job. So I'm gonna take it to this person over here. Oh, the brakes are old. I'm gonna take it to this person over here. We are the same way. We are multi-dimensional people and we may need somebody who can help us with our exercise routine. Someone who can help us with a spiritual journey. Someone who can help us with leadership development. And those are different people. And 1000%, I know I hate but sometimes when people say that because it's, ridiculous, but I'm going to be ridiculous about this. 1000%, it is worth the investment. If you have any amount of money that you can spend on that and invest in yourself, it is worth the investment to work with people that can help you. Um, so Tom, yes, I'd love to throw this back over to you. And, you know, one of the things that I would be curious, kind of going back to Chance's original question, I have not intentionally built a coaching business. I do training, I do consulting, I've kind of stumbled into coaching. Sometimes people come to me like, oh, I heard you're good at this, will you work with me? But I haven't actually built a coaching business. I don't have necessarily the desire or the skills to do the social media, to be the influencer. And so I'm certainly curious um, to hear a little bit more about that process of building the platform and the coaching business uh more intentionally than probably i have sure yeah i mean um firstly so i i also never intended to get into coaching right as i mentioned it was people coming up to me after the workshops and the speaking that i do saying oh tom can i work with you what i want so i think what that shows i think is that um coaching what it comes down to is, is human connection right and, and it's about having a passion for that and i think if you if you want to be a coach that's what you've really got to love is just digging deeper in with people and connecting with people and i think you know in the world that we live in today there's a very big focus on social media and building awareness and needing to be on instagram tiktok linkedin facebook and just pushing out content all the time um but for me, one of my life principles, I have 12 life principles, which I discuss in, in my podcast. One of them is that real connection happens in person. And I was questioning that after the pandemic and thinking, oh, but I am having great connection. I've met Chance during the pandemic and having incredible connection virtually. So does it always happen in person? But having like now getting back to... Um, doing live events again in person, I'm like, yeah, okay. Real connection in person is, is really where it's at. Um, so all that, all that to say, that long preamble is you have to enjoy that connection and actually social media, for me, it doesn't feel like an exciting thing to do, to be a content creator. And I recently, after sort of trying to push myself for months to 
be this creator who's going to share daily on LinkedIn, who's going to build up an Instagram presence, who's going to do this, realize that that is not how I want to spend my time. I don't want to be a content creator. And if it means that I get less coaching clients or less work because I'm spending less time on social media, then I'm going to do that. And I'm focused now on really just delivering out of 10 for my clients, putting my effort into preparing for the events, preparing for the sessions that I do and, and skilling up so that um, then I will be referred through word of mouth. And that's often, that's the biggest way of marketing of approaching is, is word of mouth. And if you do a great job for someone, if you change someone's life, then they're going to share what you do. And that's more powerful than you pushing out content daily on, on social media. And as Chance mentions in the chat, you know, working with incredible platforms like Viridescent, who content is what they do and what they love is, is a fantastic thing to do. And I really appreciate the elevation that Viridescent is doing. And this is very meta because of course, this is a show on your platform right now. So um, yeah, that, that would be, I think, my advice um, for coaching and actually building the organization and, and, and the marketing of that. That really, Aurora, right, it leans into a sustainability element here is it's a localized energy kind of build, a movement, right, is, you know, if you're trying to do it in person, a lot of the time, especially, Tom, right, like in the word of the mouth thing, you can do that virtually too, right, but I love that it's rooted in kind of a localized sort of, um, a localized sort of vibe and development that can really maximize that feeling of being together with somebody in person, but I think that, you know, Tom, certainly our experience is that it can, we can show that it can be done virtually as well, right? And especially in coaching, that is an opportunity for scale and all those good things too. Um, but it's also a reason to meet people, to go to events and meet the people that you've coached virtually and all kinds of fun things, right? So there's, there's goodness, but it's all rooted in this like localized. Yeah, Tom, go ahead. Yeah, well, one thing I would say is to caveat this real connection happens in person. It's more like real connection happens like in a live conversation with ah, video, right? Mm, so I coach mm. people online, but I think what you see with most content that coaches are creating is it's a loudspeaker. It's not a two-way interaction or it's written text on a screen or an image which you scroll, which someone's scrolling through. It's not a interaction. It's not really a conversation. So I think I would caveat that where by saying there are great ways of digitally connecting as, as we're doing right now. And I, I would love to ask a question that, um, Tom, I don't know if you've done any of this. I'm just doing my first experience now where I'm doing sort of a group coaching. And again, it's not about change your life. It's about here's a course on procurement, sustainable procurement. So it's walking a group of people through, hey, have you thought about how you purchase paper? Have you thought about like, but it's also who are you going to talk to in your organization, et cetera. So I, I thought about this group coaching way to do it because I thought, well, it lowers the cost, right? It's, it's one hour of my time or 90 minutes actually for each session of my time. But if each person's paying a smaller amount, then, you know, and um, I find that there's some really great elements to that, right? Where people can kind of, you know, learn from each other. And I learn like, oh my God, I never even thought about that situation. But I also find that it makes it so difficult for me to really coach it's a great discussion group, but I can't dig into each one of their situations the way I'd like to. So I'm just curious what you think about a group dynamic and group coaching. Have you done any of that? And what do you like about it? And what would you do differently? Yeah, I mean, 
group coaching is in a way what you can do in workshop formats of sorts, which I've done in multiple ways. And of course we have the community, the fire starters, which I think we're going to go into in a bit, but I think the advantage of group coaching, indeed, it's a bit more scalable than one-on-one. Than -on -one. And I think you unite people who have shared problems, shared challenges, and just through having them each share their challenges and be vulnerable, it really legitimizes the feelings that they have and the problems that they have. And they're like, oh, wow, okay, everyone else also has these issues and this is normal. And it helps them to accept themselves and accept the situation that they're in um, and to normalize that, which I think is one of the first important steps of, of that awareness and then accepting where you are so that you can move forward. So I think that's one of the biggest benefits there and often... You, yeah, you learn from each other from that with what you share and there's different strategies to address a shared problem and you can learn from each other's strategies um, and also pair up and take action together, having accountability partnerships, which I often do in my workshops where people will then check in later. And so I'm facilitating other people to support each other on their journey. And that's a way of scaling your impact as a, as a coach or, or facilitator. Thank you. That's helpful, yeah. So Aurora, I think it's time to, to kind of pivot into a little bit of climate activism conversation. Um, before we do that, just a couple of little threads to, to kind of tie up here. So um, earlier we built Tom uh, an alter ego character. Um, we do offer that for anybody and everybody. That is one of our kind of ways of coaching. Um, and the, what we're doing there is helping people meet and try to find the very best of themselves. And soon we'll be turning that into immersive workshops where the alter egos come together and they work on something together as a collective to learn how to map business um, or sustainability to a business strategy or how to think in circular economics and innovation and things like that. Um, so stay tuned to that. Carlos put some links in the chat and you can get access. If you want a character, there's a portal to sign up for one as well as if you would like to participate in these workshops that we are launching in January of 2022, which is very, very soon, um, sign up for our email experience. And that will also get you access to Tom's discount code and all that good stuff too, so some good things. Okay, now that the silly housekeeping nonsense is out of the way, let's talk climate activism. And this will kind of start our journey towards the fire starters and a group conversation here on the second part but let's do just a quick deep dive with you, Tom, on your approach about climate activism. And you talked a little bit about it in your origin story, but maybe tell us a little bit about what that inspires you to do, how you do it, what your philosophy is. I know that like Extinction Rebellion's kind of 10, I don't know what they call them, those 10 principles that they have. I, lo I, I love their mindset on this idea of civil disobedience. So tell us about that too. Sure, sure. Um... So this week is COP26, right? 26. We've had 26 of these conferences where countries come together. The first one, I believe, was 1990, something like that. And global CO2 emissions are still rising. In fact, we've polluted more since the first COP than before that. And we've done that knowingly, right? So 30 years of inaction because global CO2 is still rising, despite all the pledges you might see, despite all the supposed good news of recycling, all these kind of things, global CO2 is still rising. So basically, COP, all COP is, is a symptom of, of a failed system. 
And we've tried for 30 years to have discussions, have talks to, we've done marches, we've done petitions, and it's, it's failed, sadly. And I can show you one graph which, which shows that with the global CO2 going up, um, COP conferences going like that. So what do you do? What do you do when your method has, has completely failed? Well, you need to break the law. You can't dismantle the master's house using the master's tools. And that's what we've been trying to do for 30 years, using the master's tools. And this is civil disobedience. So nonviolent civil disobedience, peaceful action, which disrupts the system that we live in, right? Um, so you can imagine things like blockades, so blocking traffic, blocking entrances to offices. You can imagine all these kind of other methods which have been done by Extinction Rebellion, have been done by Greenpeace with the boats, these kind of things. Um, but putting your body on the line, in, in my case, getting arrested earlier this year in the rebellion of one action, which was sitting cross-legged on a pedestrian crossing, uh, facing oncoming traffic with a sandwich born sign um, on my front and back, which said, I'm terrified to have children because of the climate crisis. So that's really where this comes from, from the problem. I really wish I didn't have to spend an afternoon doing these things or a whole day or a whole week as we did in, in The Hague last earlier, earlier this month because I've frankly got better things, more fun things to do. Um, although it gives me a lot of meaning and, and community in my life. And knowing that this conference was in 1990, I was born in 1993. This should have been solved before I was born or at least before I um, turned 18, and, um, but it wasn't. And this is the picture now. And that's some, a nice bit of Dutch education for the non-Dutch people here um, with my sandwich board sign. Uh, and actually, I'm going to court in December on my 28th birthday uh, about this about this action um, with three other activists who did the same action on the same day in, in Rotterdam, uh, which is right before the election. Um, and um, I have I have immense privilege, by the way. So I'm I'm not risking a prison sentence, fortunately, with this. Um, um, and I knew exactly what I was getting into because I give trainings on civil disobedience. So I give trainings on how to do these things and, and knowing my rights. So um, just to tell you a bit how that goes, uh, my charge is ignoring a police order, which is a very low offense here. Um, the worst thing I can get is a 250 euro fine and uh, a mark on my record, which has for me no effect on my future career because um, ignoring a police order is just not relevant if, unless you want to join a police department. Um, so I have immense privilege. And when you recognize that, um, recognizing your privilege is also as a white man in the way that I was treated by the police. Um, it, for me, it's, it's, it's just the most effective thing to do. And this is proven by social science. Um, and there's people who set up, civil, uh, set up Extinction Rebellion a couple of years ago, actually have PhDs in this thing, in civil disobedience. Um, so it's very much scientifically driven as the best approach to do. Um, after 30 years of complete failure of other forms of protest and of politicking and, and conferences. And, and just to round off, I could talk for ages about this, but just to round off is with COP, um, in the words of this incredible artist who I can't remember his name, but in his words, uh, the revolution will not be televised. We will not see massive change in this COP. COP will fail, but proclaim victory. So the answer also is Greta Thunberg will say, is to take to the streets, to actually change the system 
Um, and I could talk more and we will talk more, but I'll let you two respond to all of this stuff that I've just thrown out there. So it's really interesting, you know, when you say take to the streets, something that's important um, as, a, as a framing for this is it doesn't necessarily have to be taking to the streets to sit down in the middle of the street and get arrested, right? As you've acknowledged, you have a privilege that allows you to do that in a way that feels safe and comfortable and to even be treated politely as they're walking you into your jail cell. <laughs> like, so maybe that's a good method for you, right? Yeah. Um, maybe that's a, a really good method for you, but if it doesn't feel like the right method for another, know that there are other ways you can take to the streets, right? You can go into your business and you can change that system. You can use that change inside your business to roll it up and change the industry that you're a part of, right? There's all these different ways that we can kind of take to the streets, but I would love, you know, Tom for, you know, kind of like one big piece of advice for somebody that is having this call, this call to action that I, I want to be a little bit of a radical revolutionary kind of thing, right? If that's in you and that's what you feel like you wanna do, what is your advice? What's your biggest piece of advice to someone? Big question, Chance. Um, yes, I like, I like to do I like that. Big, I learn I like big questions. Um, so my philosophy around real change for the climate, for our planet is don't hate the player, hate the game. And it's not really about hating, it's more about getting people to think systemically, right? So um, I disagree a bit with what you said around taking to the streets by doing something within your company. Um, okay. Although it depends what that thing is. Um, and so in that talk, which you know, we can send a link to that I do, it's a 15 minute TED style thing about uh, the system of neoliberalism and the failure of that is we live in a system of financial maximization. So as much as the CEO of Unilever, as amazing as Unilever is in general terms as an organization, um, being very sustainable, they still have to uh, focus on selling more, which means consuming more, which means more waste. Regardless of how they yeah. minimize the amount of plastic within their products, they need you to consume to, to survive. Um, and that's, a, that's the system that we live in, is a system of financial maximization at, at the exploitation of everything else. As you've seen in the last few weeks with the whistleblower of Facebook, classic example, Francis Hogan, right? Who has said that Facebook knows that um, its platforms are harming the mental health of young teenage girls, but because the platform relies on having as much attention as possible in order to get as much ad revenue, they will show you awful misinformation, awful content to get your attention there, regardless of the effects of society, because it's financial maximization. And that is the classic example of that. So um, coming back to, to your question, I am weaving back here, Chance. Um, doing a sustainability initiative in your organization can be great, but bear in mind, profit will always come before purpose in this system. And so what you can do is you can um, actually talk to, in the Netherlands, we have this system called Workers' Council. So it's a form of unionization, I guess, of actually coming together and putting pressure on your leadership putting pressure to change um, you, you as an organization you should actually be asking governments to regulate your industry to get that industry to change I, I spoke to an employee of the large fossil fuel company shell a couple of years ago he was just saying we need a carbon tax you know if there's not a tax and there's no regulation shell won't change total won't change exxon mobil all these big companies they're not going to change about the regulation because if if shell would change they would lose out to their rivals Right, so you can ask for regulation, 
Um, I think you can join different movements, which actually puts pressure and actually disrupts the system. Uh, again, it's needing government action, so putting pressure on governments, trying to um, cause disruption there. I mean, the system in the US is, is pretty pretty screwed. Uh, having read this is having read Obama's memoir uh, last month. Um, with this intertwinement of power and money, even more so than in Europe, I think, um, and the uh, system of the two-party system with the Senate. And as you see right now with this, I think, senator who's a centrist Democrat stalling Biden's climate agenda, and, and it's, a, it's a failed system. So you need to, you need to put pressure on to change that. Um, big answer to a, a big question, I guess. Um, in short term, very, very briefly, um, find your community. So if you care about this, join movements, come together, band together with people who are like you, becoming part of shared groups like Extinction Rebellion, um, like Fridays for Future, like other groups, find a community and they will support you. And alone you are feeling very powerless, but together you are strong and it feels like an incredible community that you've got there out just waiting for you that you can find if you seek these people out and then you can make real change not by playing the game, but by changing the rules of the game. So my, before we kind of pivot, yeah, I was going to say, let me set the stage for you, Aurora, actually, because I'm thinking about you as you, because I know you have thoughts here. Yes. So before you go, let me offer something as kind of a bridge here, I think. Um, I think there's a sustainability lesson here for sustainability people specifically, and for business people specifically too, in that, there's a lot of things required to changing the system, but ultimately it is all about changing the system, but how we play our roles and our parts and how we are the actresses, actresses, and everyone else in this thing can be a bit dynamic as we go. And I think what it is, the responsibility of sustainably minded business professionals, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs that are doing these things to affect change is to help support causes like what Tom is doing in Extinction Rebellion and across a lot of other spaces. And know that that is a part that you can play at times too. And you can do it inside your system, but if you play you know, diplomat, if you need to play diplomat right in that, that's okay too. But always have that governor, kind of governor, I guess, or maybe it's a beacon, um, a beacon that is disrupt. Try to bring new perspectives, fresh perspectives. Don't be afraid to speak your truth in these moments. So Aurora, yeah, I'd love to hear kind of your response because you have a much different philosophy I, I about do. this. And, yeah, so I will let's, say, let's I will frame this minute. by saying, yeah, that a lot of the people that I have coached and mentored over the years would never, they would never be even on the radar of the kind of a company like Deloitte or the graduate school that, you know, Tom probably went to. And the beauty of what you're doing, Tom, is that you're working within a space where you can reach people who have the power to change the system. I work predominantly with people who will, unless they do mass mobilize, will not have the power to change the system because of who they are, because of the color of their skin, because of where and how they were born. And my passion is to show them that even though they, have, they are stuck in a system, which they generally don't even see it that way. They don't know how to articulate and understand that, but they do feel something's incongruent. They struggle with that but they lack the confidence and the skills and the knowledge often to do anything about it. 
So I try to set them up for some level of success to be able to do what they can within their span of control. Span of control is a very important concept in this. I hope that Tom is reaching people who have powerful spans of control and can do things that are monumental. I am mostly reaching people who have a limited span of control and I want to give, I want to optimize the hope and the power that they can feel within that span of control in terms of what they can do to make a change, even if it is still inside of a broken system. I totally get that. So let me, let me just kind of give a quick little example of what most people out there feel about sustainability. I, on, on a Facebook group, I think about like women who travel or something like this. Like, this is like maybe a year ago. Somebody posted the question, what, what should I do to be more sustainable in my travel? I saw somebody post the answer. I'm working on my master's degree in sustainability. Once I'm finished, I'll be able to answer this question. I was like, freaking Google it. It's like, are you kidding me? So most people out there, when I talk to them about sustainability, it is presented, unfortunately, we have done this to ourselves because the sustainability elite, the professionals, the directors, the VPs, the people who do sustainability have been very much like, it's my territory, right? We fought so long and hard to get in these jobs that we're afraid to open our arms and share the work and share the glory and all of that. So there tends to be this feeling inside of organizations that sustainability is this thing, I don't have permission to touch that. I'm not allowed to do that. And I come along to say, that's bullshit. If your job is to buy staplers, then buy this stapler instead of that stapler. <laughs> buy the one that's got recycled content. Buy the one that comes from a social enterprise or whatever, right? So it's really about, I think, both and. This is not an either or, just because I come from a very different place. This is a both and. If we don't have time people who can change laws and and sit in streets and if you don't have people like me who are training dishwashers and front desk agents at hotels we're not gonna this isn't gonna happen we have it's to a bridge squeeze from both ends yeah. it's a bridge between the two right um tom i'd be curious kind of your response to this anything you want to say to kind of wrap up this piece yeah I mean, as you know, we protect I'm, I'm... the status quo here break it take that hammer and <laughs> smash through it my friend let's go you know, I, I, you know, I'm I'm an evangelist, right? And and my girlfriend said to me recently, said Tom, if you if you'd grown up somewhere else, you would have been like an evangelist for a church somewhere. You know, like I I'm very um, passionate about what I do, and sometimes my pitfall is being a bit self righteous about my approach. And I think one thing I I didn't mention clearly enough is you know what I believe is that everyone has things that energize and everyone has different talents they can bring to this cause. You know, so we have lawyers who volunteer their time to help people like me to sit on the street and know that I've got a, a free lawyer to support me. We have people who used to work in investment banking who are then quitting that and then managing our finances. And you need people from all walks of life, also people who, who have different edu educations, you know, um, who can uh, build protest signs and paint them and build boats and make all that stuff look really nice, not even necessarily be out there on the streets. Um, so I think everyone needs to reflect on, okay, 
if this is the issue of our time, this is the issue of our species this century, how can I contribute with my talents, with my privilege or lack of privilege with the things that energize me? So I think there are definitely multiple approaches and we need all of them. We need all the help we can get. Key thing though is disruption or at least supporting someone else to disrupt that, to actually change that game. Well said, that's a really great way to kind of wrap up this piece, I think. Um, and for anybody out there, carry Tom's disruption, right? Carry it with you, be radical a little bit in whatever circle of influence you have and be thoughtful and, you know, do it the way that feels good. But if it's like, if they are, the system is telling you like, no, we can't buy that stapler, be like, yes, we can, like, help me fix this. Yes, we can, we could buy the damn stapler. Like, come on, right? Like, um, all right, I like. <laughs> uh, we will change the world through better one. stapler purchases, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes, all right. Starts um, with staplers, hashtag. Well, it seems like a pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe we should talk to Staples um, about sponsorship here. Um, I'm kidding. Um, all right. Sorry, my dark humor comes out once in a while. Okay. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, good, good time to maybe light a fire here as we go. So we're going to take a mindful minute or two here, take a break for a second. We actually go back on Angel's Landing so you can see the view from the top of this epic cliff we're standing on. And then Tom and I are going to perform a couple of pages of his first comic in the Viraverse. So we'll see you in just a couple of minutes. 